Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. We're back with another episode of The Stacks, and I am your host, Tracy Thomas. Our guest today is the wonderful actor, director, and writer, Wade Elaine Marcus, and he and I are going to do a deep dive into Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya for The Stacks Book Club. Nana was our guest on the Short Stacks this week, so go hear him talk about how this book came to be and learn a little bit more about the stories. There also will be spoilers on today's episode, so I suggest that you read the book first and then come back and listen, or just go ahead and listen to the Short Stacks episode with Nana. Okay. If you're listening and enjoying the Stacks, I want you to know you have my patrons, aka the Stacks Pack, to thank for that. Patreon is a membership website that allows you to help support this show while enjoying perks for yourself. We do the virtual book club where we get on a video chat to discuss the most recent Stacks book club books, and that's all something that we do with our patrons. So if you're interested in being a part of this amazing, generous group of humans, all it takes is as little as a dollar a month and you can be in the Stacks pack. So if you're interested, go to patreon.com slash the Stacks, give what you can. If a monthly contribution isn't your thing, consider one-time contributions. You can go to paypal.me slash the stacks pod and give what you can. And that also helps a ton. To stay up to date on the stacks, make sure that you're following us on social media and going to the website www.thestackspodcast.com. Links to all of our social media accounts are in the show notes. You'll also find links to everything we talk about on today's show. If you shop through those links, the stacks will earn a small commission and it comes at no extra cost to you. So it's kind of a win-win. Now is a great time to rate and review this podcast. These reviews help us climb the charts, break through the algorithms, and get to new listeners. So if you haven't yet, I would appreciate you do so now. Our most recent review comes from Sadamoji Nada, and they say... This is the best bookish podcast. Great conversation and fantastic books. I always look forward to listening. Thank you for creating this magic. First of all, please only refer to the stacks as magic from now on because that just made my day. Second of all, thank you so much for writing your review. These reviews are so important to the show and I would love it if you would just take a moment to write one. Okay, now it's time for the stacks book club conversation. We're talking about Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya's short story collection, Friday Black, with our lovely guest, Wade Elaine Marcus, and his sometimes chatty dog, Tika. 
All right, we are back again this week with actor, director, screenwriter, Wade Elaine Marcus. And for the Sex Book Club today, we're talking about Friday Black by Nana Kwame Adje Brenya, which is a short story collection. It kind of defies genre. So I think we're just going to talk about it. I'm not even going to really tell you what it's about, but I will say this. We will spoil everything in this book. So if you haven't read it yet and you want to and you care, stop listening, come back later. Um, But Wade, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Tracy. So excited you're here. We're going to just dive in. What did you think of Friday Black? Absolutely loved it. I mean, it it also kind of brings me back to um, when we were talking about Marquez and this like magical realism, Mm. except that... Um, he has done it in a way that is contemporary for me, you know, right. as far as like, okay, so this is a young man who is a direct product of what we have been into. Um, he's, he's, he's clearly responding to the moment um, over the last five or six years, let's say, which has kind of put us in a very new place with, with Trump, with school shootings, with, Ferguson and Baltimore and like everything that that has happened that has really kind of created this new civil rights. And so using these kind of absurd, violent and magical realism qualities, he has uh, really, really painted an extraordinary picture and a terrifying picture of uh, where we are right now. Right. I agree. I I really like the book, but I'm going to be honest and just say that I think I missed a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't think I understood a lot. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine that I've met through this podcast, Reggie, and he was saying that, you know, there's a reference, like he thinks there's a reference to Song of Solomon. He thinks there's a reference to Parable of the Sower and like all this stuff that I was like, oh, I'm not, that's not something that I know. So I feel like I missed some referential stuff in the text, Mm. but I also think I missed the point sometimes or wasn't quite sure what he was saying. Yeah. Um, which I don't mind as a reader. Like I, I come to reading knowing that I don't know a lot, so it's okay. But sometimes I was confused, like how some of the stories fit together. But the ones that like really resonated with me, like after I read the first story, Finkelstein 5, I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest story collection ever. Like yeah. that one was just so powerful. Mm-hmm. And then there were some where I finished and I was like, huh? Yeah, no, completely agree. And somewhere it was like, you know, I'm reading the entire story and I don't know what's going on. And then the last moment, there's just this feeling, there's this rush that I'll right. get. And I may not have completely comprehended what right. I've just read, but that feeling I I got pretty much for, I would say, 90% of the stories. Yeah, it's actually true. what you were saying last week about like the work that you like to create or like the things you like to consume and new people that it's not always the literal understanding, but the feeling that you get. Cause that's true. Like I could feel sometimes what he was trying to say or do and the words didn't match what my understanding was necessarily, Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Well, because it's, it's oddly like, you know, he's, he's creating something very visual here, Mm -hmm. right? Everything that he's painting, whether it is the violence, whether it is the kind of like floating human beings mm-hmm. or or shoe looking human beings, mm-hmm. is a very clear and vivid picture of yeah. what he wants us to see. And that what we're seeing is what, you know, what I gather is what he's feeling mm-hmm. from whatever it is, the story that he's telling. Right. And and normally we talk about the cover at the end, but I, maybe we should kind of talk about it right now. Mm. The The thing about this book, as soon as I saw like a picture of the cover, I was like, oh, 
I kind of know what this is. Mm. Like I kind of knew, even though I didn't even notice that what the cover was, like just the colors and the lines and the the font and all of that. I was like, oh, this is going to be something really like big and cinematic. Like it just, the vibe of the cover is like, has like some gravitas in a mm. way that feels kind of magical and weird and different. Yeah, totally. You know, it's funny actually. Cause I think new people has like a similar kind of cover. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's a lot more, it's, it's simpler. I, I feel guess. like the new people cover is like a little, like kind of like quirky and like might be fun. And this cover to me is like, Darker. yo, like uh, here I come. Yeah. Like oh, here I funny. am. I don't feel like new people is like fun. The cover, like the know. purple. And, and like, the yeah, it's black. like purple. And I don't know. Yeah. It, it has a little darkness to it, but this to me, but there's an abstractness, I guess. Yeah. To both, yeah. Where it's like, I'm drawing you in to a world that may not be the world that we know exactly right. as it is. Right. And like when you look at the cover, you don't necessarily see anything right away. And then it's like, as I was reading, and then I got to that story because right. it's the the line. What is it? The spider? Yeah, the line and the is that what it's called? whisper. The, like, so, no, the line and the spider, or something like that. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it's that story. And I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, I wonder why he picked that. Totally, because that's the one that I really didn't get. Really, you liked that one. Mm, I didn't. There were a few. Yes, I liked it. I don't know. No, you're right. I probably didn't love that one. But but it is the one that's really like it's completely different from the rest of them. Right. And I the dad in that, I kind of like liked him. I kind of could like relate to that like black dadness that he had. Yeah. You know, but yeah, like I mean, I also I I think Friday Black is a great title, but I don't know that to me that story was necessarily the one that I would have picked for the title. Right. But I also don't know how you pick a title for a short story collection because I always feel that way. I'm always like, oh, why'd you pick this one? Right. Is it? Yeah, I wouldn't know that either. Is it always a story from the collection? No. Sometimes you have like another story. I don't read a ton of short stories to be fair, but of the ones I've read, it's almost always one of the stories. Same with essays. It's almost always one of the title of the essays. If it were me, I probably would have called well, Friday Black is really gripping and cool. Yeah. And you're like, what does this mean? Totally. But I think like as far as encompassing what the stories are, I think that the era also could have had a good shot. Yeah, for sure. The era 100% would be the thing that is is more like what this story is. Right. But Friday Black, like I think the kind of point of the stories is like, I'm just going to get you. Right. You know, I'm going to get you in this way that like – is going to shock you right. and kind of keep you. He's like a provocateur. He wants us 100%. to think and be like, what? what is this that we're consuming, right? Like, what is this book? What does it mean? He strikes me as someone who is very conscious of audience understanding. Like, you know, some people are like, I just write for myself. And it seems to me that he's one of those people who writes for his audience mm. and like has an intention of like, this is meant to be shared. Yeah. You know, not necessarily that he's worried about what people will think of it, but that he's writing with other people in mind. Yeah, no, I completely agree. But I think the people really are, you know, the people of the generation that yeah. are like living it right, right, right. now. Totally. You know? Like he could be writing in his mind for his best friend. I don't know, but it feels like he knows who's this, reading that it. someone's coming to read this. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Well, because it's this odd, like almost like mixed media thing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the point, the, the reason it's so visual for me is so that it grips you that much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, 
we see so many things. We consume so much now on our phones. Like if we're scrolling through Instagram or whatever, like we're looking at images, images constantly. And I feel like he's so cognizant of that, that right. he is creating those pictures right. that will. But he doesn't really talk about social media a ton in no, here, which I thought was interesting because yeah. he does feel so much of like this certain generation, like I guess. I don't know. I think he's about 27, 28, which would make him kind of the end of the millennial. Right. Well, no, that's what was so interesting. It feels like this is this is like what someone who's maybe watched. Oh, wow. Just as we were talking about Black Mirror, Siri, Siri it's involved. <laughs> um, but that's what I was just going to say. Like someone who's watched something like Black Mirror mm. or seen these other dystopian things that are like, ooh, what can happen from your phone? And he's like, yeah, like, I don't know. that That's old shit to me. Right. And I really want to talk more about r- really political things. Right. And like what happens to humans as a result of it, not so much of what the – not, he's not so much worried about what technology will or won't do. He's worried about how humans respond to it. Yeah. Well, we've there's been some, we now have some research and results of uh, of what technology can do. You know, right. like Trump or even like Obama. You know what I right. mean? Both of those presidents came to us through, through. social media to a certain degree, right? right? But just very different versions of it. We got yeah. very different aspects. Right. And so now he's like, okay, so what do I do with that information? Right, going right. to that next place. I mean. he. I've heard him talk in a few interviews. He was on Seth Meyers' show, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. Um, but he also was on the New York Times podcast. And they asked him something about like, do you ever think you would write not political stuff or something? Which I think is a dumb question because I think that that implies like so much inherent whiteness, like yeah, to be able seriously. to quote unquote write something not political is like a, such a privilege. Yeah. Um, but he responded being like, even if I wrote about rainbows, like there would be something political about that because that's my point of view. And so I really, it, it excites me to know that that's like, if he's the start of this next turn of writers like yeah. that that's what we have to look forward to this like connection to being political and not something that's a byproduct but that it's an intentional totally. thing because this book feels very intentionally political violent he's saying he's got like a huge commentary on what's going on and the other thing that i freaking love and i think maybe he mentioned this um is that all the characters are not all but most i believe of the characters in this book are black but he doesn't always say it. Right. He doesn't always say like his chocolate skin. Like sometimes you're like, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what is so fascinating because I feel like for us, like our work was always like race is going to be involved. Mm-hmm. There's no way that I can create something that mm-hmm. doesn't have to do with race. Right. But then when I talk to my brother, who's 10 years younger than me, he still feels that to a certain degree, but it is more of a political thing. Right. It's more like, no, what is what 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 is my race in the world as right. opposed to just like what does it mean to be black in America right. or mixed yeah. in America? It's kind of like that next thing. So there's right. no need to say what we are because I'm not like doing an investigation on right. what it means to be black in America. It's it's there's some other things going right. on. Right. But I also I mean I think some of it though is also like Brenya said basically is saying I am not going to tell you that this person is black. And then when you find out later in the story, you're going to feel dumb because you assumed it was a white person. And like, I got you. And that's part of like that. He's playing with that too. that, like assumption, that default to whiteness. Totally. Right. Like in the first story, I mean, we have that blackness scale. I was just going to say that. Let's talk about the first story. It was my, I mean, it was my favorite, I think by far. I mean, maybe not by far, but it was definitely a standout as my favorite. And so um, that's the Finkelstein Five. So it follows a guy named Emmanuel, and he is a black man. And 
within the first like two pages, we find out that there's this blackness scale that he's judging his blackness on. So he picks up a phone call and his blackness is like down to a two. Right. And so well, he can control yeah, it. Yeah, he can to control it. And since he's on the phone, he can talk in his like white voice, mm-hmm. which we all have, we being people of color. Yes. And then he says like, but when you see me, I can only get as low as a four or mm-hmm. something. So it's like, well, that's what, and that's what I thought was so fascinating was starting with that story yeah. because he was essentially doing that through these stories. Right. Like as he told these stories, he's like, I'm going to have my blackness at 10 or I'm going to have right. my blackness at four. Right. The way that I'm telling this story to you. Right. Because he goes through different scenarios that feel more black or not. Right. Right. So like that's this story has a lot going on, but that so that's like the first part of it. But it's all in relationship to this recent verdict that's come out. Um, A white guy killed five black kids outside of a library by chainsaw to, quote unquote, protect his his own children. And so the trial, he's acquitted within 28 minutes of the jury going to deliberate. And you like the book or the story kind of flashes back to the trial and what's going on. And then in the present moment, there's this response called naming, Mm -hmm. which is so fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's young black people are getting dressed up in their like best suits, ties, like this full respectability politics, pants pulled up, belts, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever, going into public places, yelling over and over the name of one of the children carving the number five into their own skin and then inflicting acts of violence against white people. Yep. Which is just like to actually imagine that like being on a bus and experiencing that is wild, but also to imagine coming to a place as a group of people as like a black, as the black community where that's the only way you can respond. respond. Yeah. Is wild. And it's so interesting to think about like, you know, domestic terrorism is mostly white people, right? Right. And so in some ways he's kind of using like what white people do right. in our country. Right. And being like, how do you think that would look right. if it was us doing that? Right. And it's this like odd thing where you're like, this is the only way. Because I think he he's not really like taking sides on so many things like even in friday black and consumerism i mean obviously he has these consumers being zombies Mm -hmm. but there is this certain degree of like this needs to be happening right now Mm -hmm. and so i just love the way that he's able to kind of like lay out what these stories are in ways that are like this is what you're fucking doing right and there's funny there's satire in it oh my god like there's the part in in finkelstein five where he's talking He's like talking about whatever the lawyer was saying. And it was like, sure, we have laws, but who do you love more, your children or your law? It's like, that's actually not like an actual equivalency, but that's so some bullshit that a defense attorney would use on someone who killed a black child. Like you can change the value of laws depending on who the person is or, you know, that a love of a child of your own child somehow is more important than not killing other people's children with a chainsaw and that that worked. Yeah. No, it's 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 absurd. And then in 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 the in the story like Light Spitter, mm. you know, where we're following a school shooter, you're basically in the psyche of a school shooter who um, starts the process. He's in a bathroom stall, takes out his gun, goes out, walks into a library, and murders a girl. 
And then you're immediately in kind of like this limbo mm-hmm. space with him and with the girl. Mm-hmm. She's an angel. He's not sure what he is. He is we're not sure if we, he's dead. He's shot himself, but we don't know. If oh, he, do we not know if he's dead? But they're moving together. They're in moving like spirit together. Space. Yeah, she is definitely dead and becoming an angel. And my understanding was that we weren't quite sure the EMTs were working on him. So he was like kind of in between. That was how I read it. Oh, interesting. Wait, does he survive at the end? We don't know. Oh, crazy. But but so then they go through together their spirits to basically save like a couple different people, right? Right. But she is very much like, get the fuck away from me. I Mm -hmm. don't want to know you. And she's already moved on. Like she has this sense of um, distance from herself and the world and who she is now. Right, and who she's becoming as an angel. And through this process, this school shooter kid basically is able to kind of have a clearer picture of Mm -hmm. of what he's done. And like why he did it. And why he did it, exactly. And what we need as people in order to feel like not so alone for someone to have to do something like that. Right. Well, first of all, did did you ascribe an ethnicity to the shooter and the girl? I mean, I thought it was like um, a white dude and a black girl. Okay, me too. But then I was also like, maybe it's supposed to be. But it could have been switched. It was sort of like up for grabs. In my mind, it couldn't have been switched. A black dude and a white I girl. I just don't believe that that happens. Right. Like, I just couldn't believe. Like, I. it was the one of the only stories where I was like, I think this has to be a white person. Right. The rest of the characters, I didn't really like. I didn't think they needed to be or would be but this one i was like that's got to be a white guy oh yeah he was for sure white i thought maybe she was like latina or something like that maybe i just you know i just see black people everywhere because i'm black um and i put myself obviously in her situation as a woman but the thing one of the things that popped up for me in this one when i started reading the story before i knew it was what it was about i was like this really reminds me of isla vista which was that shooting Mm. of the kid who was like into all the movies and shot up in Santa Barbara area. Yeah, the, the one who was basically like... Girls don't like me. Yeah, exactly. And it's brutes. Yeah, and before it even got to the shooting part, I was like, I, I was like, I feel like this is like a school shooting waiting to happen. Yeah. And then once he started talking about like girls weren't paying attention to him and blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's such... That that has become this justification and like this tox- toxic masculinity, this entitlement to friends and women. Mm. And this is one of the only stories where I feel like the woman character was really the strong mm. care. I felt like a lot of the other stories were very male heavy. And yeah. That the women kind sure. of floated in and out and maybe they had something to say or do, but that this woman in this story was like, she was the really the only full woman character for me. in the that book. that was like leading it. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I also felt like there was a woman who was kind of saving a, a young kid, like in the era. Yeah. And when, you know, this is basically a story that takes place. It feels like in the far future because they're mm-hmm. talking about the quick war and the mm-hmm. long war, mm-hmm. like bas- in the era. In the era, yeah. yeah. It's essentially like you open up in a classroom, right? And it's a it's a world where everyone is being completely honest to each other. Right. So, like the teacher says something to the effect of, like, you know, back in the day, people used to lie all the time, and I would look at Samantha and I might say she's really beautiful, but we all know she's hideous, <laughs> and that's like in a classroom of teenagers, right? And the story kind of progresses from there, and then we're following this kid who is a natural born, quote unquote, because right. there's ways to try to up your situation. But right. sometimes that might turn out bad. 
but there is the there's the girl who basically brings her to um who brings him to her family. Right. And the family is like they're antis. They're anti all the shit that's going on. They kind of subscribe to the old ways. Right. They talk about comedians and jokes and things like that. And so I felt like she was another character who was actually like leading this sort of, you know, corrupted man sure. into a place that might be like better. Yeah, but I guess for me for that one, I think I had a hard time because I felt like I, I I was trying to identify who was who, like mm-hmm. who are the antis in today's world? Like who are the shoe lookers in today's world? Like who are the people who are normals versus like the enhanced people? Mm-hmm. And I had a hard time because I kept thinking like, I think maybe I'm an anti. Mm-hmm. And so then I felt like. The antis definitely felt like the heroes to me. Well, sure. If you are an anti, but if you believe that the correct way that we should be moving toward is away from emotion and towards, you know, pride and intelligence and all those things that were good mm-hmm. in that world. Yeah. You see, like, totally. like, we are probably antis because we are living in the world that they're talking shit about, right? Like they're saying in their world, back in our day, we used to lie to people all the time and we were really emotional and we would fight wars for no reason and blah, blah, blah. So of right. course, looking at that, looking at that story, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm an anti. But I wonder if the anti, if you try to find a parallel for it in our world, like are those, are antis like racist people who believe that, like in our world, mm. you know, like what is that line? Are they segregationists? Are they people who are, you know, anti-Jewish, anti-gay, anti, like, so then is she the hero? I think that the antis would be anti like this administration. Because for me, it's like, sure, they are in the book, like touted as people who are striving for intelligence or whatever. But it feels like people that are actually like, this is what we need for our country now. Right. This is how this is how we have to like we have to basically take control of what we feel like we don't have control over. That's why they inject like good into them because they think that they are like putting something into themselves that's going to make their world a better place where in an actuality it's controlling them. And so people who believe more in like, no, we need to be open and we need to be able to have conversations and we need to not try to just like completely, um, you know, stranglehold like everything that that we've had is is to me that was that was sort of more what I was equating it with. And shoe lookers were people who got caught in the middle of that, you know, people hmm. who are the consumers of social media constantly, who basically don't know how their brain functions anymore or what to believe because the information being fed to them literally only forces them to stare at their shoes. Interesting. I think I just I think we totally interpreted it so differently, yeah, which is like sure. I think that this story is the most ambiguous of all of them. Yeah. And I guess if you're looking at it in that moment, it's like the antis might be the heroes. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to draw parallels to this moment, I feel like you could find a way to make the antis the bad guys. Yeah. hundred percent. No. <laughs> and I excuse me. And I think that's true with uh, so many of the stories. Yeah. Like, even the one with the aborted fetuses. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I don't think that that story was trying to make me pro-life or something like that. Yeah, I had that same thought. 
It, because it didn't. It didn't make well, me. Right. Yeah. It's gonna, you're going to be hard pressed to make me pro-life just in general. <laughs> and so, but, but what I thought was interesting about it was it was like the absurdity of thinking mm-hmm. that, that, that these fetuses had these thoughts and feelings and mm. that kind of situation where it's like you, you're, you're scared that like the fetus is going to wake up on your pillow and there's going right. to be twins and they're going to be fighting over what you've done to them right. and lead you through this whole path of what's been created. Like, no, that's not the situation. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. You just totally changed my whole thought about that story. Cause I didn't really get it. I have a hard time reading satire. I often feel like I am too literal and like miss the joke but I was kind of like with this one like I don't know is this like weird like pro-life like am I but now that you're saying that I'm like sure I think that is the version of it which is sort of what I was saying before like so in Friday Black specifically like you have this clear shot at consumerism right but our lead character is is like very so into flawed. It. He's yeah. very into himself. He's very into winning. He wants to beat that other girl, you know. And yeah. so I think he's always trying to show the absurdity of what we're dealing with right. on, on a couple different levels. Right. Because it's like, yes, you know, there's 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 clear ways to interpret what's going on, but then there's also this other thing where it's like, I feel like I could be that person also. Sure. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Well, I know that um, the author worked in retail for a lot. Like Mm. he talks about that. He's talked about that. Um, And I feel like he has clearly some feelings about consumerism and working in retail. And I think that one of the big takeaways for me, because there's about, there's three stories that really take place in that mall. So it's in retail, Friday Black, and then how to sell a jacket as told by Ice King or something. (laughs) And they follow the same characters. Mm -hmm. And it's the only... It's the only repeat. Right. And he basically is saying two things. One is that we're getting to a place where retail therapy is actually therapy, like that Mm. you need to buy these things to be cool, to feel cool, to do a good job, to show that you're loved, to show that you love someone and that like the, there's so much value put in objects, which in turn makes the salesperson your therapist. Like they're trying to help you to figure out what will make you happy, will make you cool, whatever. And then the other part of it is that everything and everyone in retail is expendable, Mm -hmm. right? Like you go on your break, bye, we forgot about you. Like I could just buy you a pizza because you're not actually worth a raise or like they went from giving them money to giving them, giving him a pizza, like right. it was like, oh, we actually can't even afford to give you guys a tro- uh, anything for winning the challenge because we actually realize we don't need to. Yeah. Because you're still going to sell the shit or you'll lose your job, at which point buy will replace you. Yeah. And like this idea that there are so many people who work in retail, which is something that we're all so dependent on, who are expendable. And then there's online sales, which is really making retail jobs like obsolete in a right. way. So he like there's so many layers in all of it and mm-hmm. all the little trademark signs throughout the book on all the things like good and the jackets and Yeah, it's very plain language that mm-hmm. then leads you down these mm-hmm. crazy crazy paths. I mean, there what did you think about the um the hospital one? I had a hard time with that one. I think that was the one that fit in the least for me. I mean, I felt a little bit like it it was kind of shooting at our medical system. Sure. And the way that, you know, he he obviously has a father relationship, kind of right. father-son. Right. I don't know he ta- if he's he, lost his father. His dad, or, I think, is still around because in the acknowledgments. He his, thinks his dad? Well, the line that he says to his dad, because I, I like flagged it, because mm-hmm. he says to my father who said, if you have an A-plus mind and get a B-plus, even God will be angry. Right. So I don't know if his father's still around, but he obviously... There's holding holding there. him to a very high standard, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, there, there, I don't even know what to really say about that one. Because there was like the whole 12-tongue God. There was the 12-tongue God. Where he like exchanged his ability to write with something, the tongue of the God. So it was like maybe he was writing for God, like this other person this yeah. other entity yes it was well there was there was that and so because they were there with his dad right. right who was kind of getting some checkups it felt like his dad he was, was like sick. having some sort of pain yeah having some kind of pain um but then he would walk into other people's rooms and say you are healed 
And right. that person would then kind of fly up right. for a second, like fall down, but then be... Well, at first like he was would, like walking through. They couldn't find a place to go. They didn't know like where the dad was. He got like, cause the, he went to park and the dad, yeah, you know, which honestly is like the most hospital thing ever. Parking at the hospital is a nightmare always. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so then he's like trying to find his dad and he keeps walking past the two old guys in radiology. And then this family that's like awaiting bad news. And he can't tell if their stress of it is so much that, that's why they're so upset or if they've actually gotten the bad news or not. And then like the 12 tongue God comes in and is like, Oh, well you could fix this. Yeah. Yeah. To, to me, this was actually the most personal story because, and, and maybe I'm just saying that about the writing, but Mm -hmm. also the way that the patients react to Mm -hmm. him of saying Mm -hmm. being healed to me is sort of what his work does Mm. where it's sort of like you're, we're all like in a hospital and to some degree Mm -hmm. right now. And then these words like lift us up in a way that is both like you know, we're, we're in the air and we don't know what's going to happen to us. And then we're dropped down into reality because he has this way that's like, you know, I'm going to take you up and lift you in these beautiful stories and then Mm -hmm. be dropped into nowhere. Cause the, the last line is the father saying, what have you done? Right. They're sitting in the car, watching people walk out of the hospital, lift up and then fall to the ground. Right. And so to me, that felt like a version of how he saw himself and maybe the relation that he has with his dad to his writing. You're so good at this. Do you want to host this podcast? No, I don't know if that's true. I know. You have so many interpretations. I was just like, I don't get it. Next one. But I guess my question is, I understand like the metaphor that you're drawing. But my question is like, what actually happened in the story? Like, I didn't understand the relationship between him and the 12 tongue God. I didn't understand like what was he writing before he made the deal and what was the deal that if he took it, he would have to be the decider of who lives and who dies. Like, Mm -hmm. is that what it was? Well, I mean, to me, like anytime you're creating art, you're channeling something else, right? You are, you're, it, it, it kind of comes from somewhere else. Now that's not to say that you're not working your ass off sure. to fucking figure out what it is that you want to say. Sure. But when you're when you're really in that space, when we're doing anything, it's right. like, oh, something else has taken over. Right. I'm in the zone. In the zone. Being in the zone. And so sometimes that can feel like you've made a deal with the devil. Right. You know, or this 12-tongued guy right. or whatever it is. And so to me, him putting out this book is this exchange of like, okay, you're putting out some crazy stories mm. into the world. You're going to be fucking with people to a, a, a serious degree as they read this. Mm. And, and, and yet it's going to change things. So your, your life is going to be changed forever. Yeah. You, I mean, I'm just like, pro- I'm processing all of this. Yeah, I, just I don't hadn't know. Really I thought about just it in that way. pulling that from fucking nowhere, but. Right. And then I guess the commentary on, the medical industry would just be some side shit. This, this is a mess. Yeah, (laughs) this is a mess. So one of the things in this book that I really liked that I'm sure some people probably are uncomfortable with is all the violence. But for me, it makes a lot of sense because I, I feel like what he's saying is if we continue on this path that we're on in the current moment in America, it can only lead to more extreme violence as we become more accustomed to it. So like in Finkelstein five, it's not just that he kills five kids. He kills them with a chainsaw. Yeah. Like that's like basically hand to hand combat. Right. I mean, not actually because that in 
equates. They have a chainsaw. He has a chainsaw, but it also equates that the children were doing something back to him, which they were not, yeah. as far as I understand, because I guess the littlest girl was running away and she was found far. I mean, that story is so aggressive. And I do want to call out, I think that the five is a reference also to the Central Park five, right? That like, yeah. that like specifically the number five, because it could have been the Finkelstein four. Yeah. And it would have had the same alliteration. But that, yeah, like that this violence is, that it's, we're sowing the seeds of this violence because in the future, it's not going to be enough just to shoot a black kid. You're going to have to chainsaw them to death. Like it's not going to be enough to trample somebody at a mall. You're actually going to have to become a full on zombie if you want the jacket, right? Like, yeah, these are all cautionary tales. Yeah. It's basically like, it's both current in terms of what we're living and also a cautionary tale right. as far as where we're going. Right. And so he needed that type of um, shock to to really paint, you know, to 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 be convincing with mm-hmm. with what he was talking about. Because the truth is, if you just pull headlines, you're gonna be you're we're already desensitized yeah. to that. So we're like, oh yeah, okay, a cop kills a kid with unarmed in the middle of the road. Right. Great, I've heard that one. Right, you know. Whereas like we need he needed to be like, no fucking chainsaws and the girl was seven. Exactly. Also, that fucking part where it's like she was seven. Oh, she looked like 13 or 14. Like, yeah. motherfucker, seven and 14 don't look alike. I don't care how the girl could have been six, five and been seven and she still would have looked seven. Yeah. Like, how dare you? And then there's also this not just experiencing or like we're not just um, taking in the violence, but also then in Zimmerland, there's like oh, yeah. having I to, we invo- I mean, that. that was probably my second favorite, yeah. having to invoke the violence or like being a part of it and turning it into commodifying it, yeah, turning totally. it into and and commodifying social justice, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like we are in this place right now where it's cool to to have a political platform. Mm-hmm. And so people are now basically they are making money off of off of people doing political shit and that you know just like the movies that we were talking about last week where it was like people want to make money off of political things but then it totally gets warped right and it totally fucks us up even more um depending on how it goes so to have this like weird thought that becoming george zimmerman was going to cure people of their needs is is just such a you know and then if we're and if that's the commodity, if this if we're selling being the quote unquote hero and killing Trayvon Martin, then the question becomes at, at the expense to who? What does that do to the guy who has to dress up like Trayvon Martin every day? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I mean, what does that say to you about the value of that life? Yeah. I mean, in, in some senses, it reminded me of Top Dog Underdog. You know, of dressing up like a mm-hmm. blinking and white face mm-hmm. and getting killed every day. I forgot at, about that. At part. the expense of white people coming to see them. Right. To and enjoy. S- yeah, totally. No, I mean the psychology of that dude is is fucking crazy. Right. And then that the girlfriend, like this is another depiction of a woman in this story that's like not so great, mm-hmm. right? That she's like Oh, don't do that. Don't, like she gets it. This is bad for you. Don't do it. And then she gets offered a job to be whatever and date the dude, the main dude. And then all of a sudden she's like not about it anymore. Yeah. No, that's true. He does, I guess, have, he's 27, you know, he's probably sure. dealing with some shit. Yeah. I, guess. I mean, I don't know. It, it's not necessarily like a shot. Yeah. I just, it's just to notice like the representation of black women. Cause I think that's also like a huge 
part of the conversation right now when it comes to like Black Lives Matter and Black liberation is that Black women and uh, trans women and queer women um, in the Black community are not given the same respect or light I guess not light shine as black men as black men. Yeah, totally. And, and even though we all, I mean, we don't, maybe we don't all, but if you don't know, black lives matter was started by three black women. Yeah. It, I mean, they, they take so little of the credit really. Like when you think about a movement and maybe that's because they are women, but it's interesting when we see these depictions now, like the creative interpretations on the current moment, mm. how are women depicted in this, yeah, that's you know? True. So it's just an interesting thing to think about. It's not, it's not necessarily a shot. It's just kind of like, well, what is, where do they go in the art? And like the same thing happened with Ta-Nehisi Coates's book between mm-hmm. the world and me, he got a lot of flack for not including black women in the same way. And obviously he was writing a book to his son as a black man, but you know, there are black women in, in their lives that so it's just that's kind of a question that i always think about like where do we where are we on that that sounds like a good question for him i might just ask him (laughs) you should i might just ask him uh no by the time y'all hear this you'll already have heard my interview with nana so you'll know what i asked him but wade doesn't know yet because i haven't done it yet (laughs) we record out of order so the other thing in zimmerland that i i think is so important and it it was the one thing that i was like this story it warps it a little bit because when he puts on his trademarked suit, the like bodysuit, after the first physical interaction, mm-hmm. he turns it on to protect himself, but it makes him bigger and more swole and more intimidating. Yeah. And that question for me then becomes, you know, what is that saying? Is that saying that that this is what white people want to see so they can justify their actions. Yes. And so they give them that. Or are we saying that they are justified in seeing that? Right. Well, I mean, I think I or think both. Yeah. I mean, or and then the third <laughs> layer and the third layer is just literally out of necessity so that their like subject doesn't die. Right. Know, but couldn't it just situations? be something that's like protective that's not like doesn't make your clothes fit tighter and make you look hella buff? Yeah, for sure. Right. 100%. Like that was definitely a choice. Yeah. I think it's in the same vein of like, you know, in the pamphlet or whatever, they're taught to respond to what they're given. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like the if he greets you with a smile, you greet him with a smile. Right. If he says, you know, if he kind of comes aggressive, then you kind of come aggressive. Because I think that that and that's basically the opposite of playing with what people actually are. Right. Because it's like. So, because we mirror what we get from people, mm-hmm. that that happens in any kind of altercation, mm-hmm. and um, and so to 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 basically talk about that in this story helps us understand. Well, yeah, like if you're in that situation, like why would we just fucking shrink? You know, like mm-hmm. why why can we not be like? Excuse me? Like, is, yeah. there, is there a problem that's happening right. here? Whereas, like, the suit that you're talking about is actually fucking with people's ideas of what we all look like. Right. You know, saying that we're all, that we all look like this right. to everybody. Or that a seven-year-old could look like a 14-year-old. Yeah, exactly. With the right suit on. And then they open it up to being able to bring kids. Yeah. That's the big, that's the big turn. And, um, because they already have the school shooting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when they That's add. the one they open up. They have like a train, terrorist on a train. Right. There's three. I can't remember the third one. And then they open it up to have like a school terror attack or something. I think that's right. what they call it. Yeah. But a school shooting. And you're trying to figure out who's doing it or who who's to blame. Yeah. Which, of course, then gets 
I'm sure, into a slippery slope. But then you can also now bring your kids to the Trayvon Martin simulation. Right, because the last the last image is a son standing mm-hmm. next to his father. Right. And he says, like, go inside. So he's basically like, you know, it's it's this idea that the youth are watching. Right. Always. And that, like, now the dad is performing something different. Mm. Right? Like, he's performing protection. Right. That there's more for him to lose. Now he really can't back down because, mm-hmm. like, you don't want to look like softy in front of your kid like you're trying to show your kid to stand up for the neighborhood and like right. be a good yeah and like i mean also it's it's great that he talks about that there's three options like you could call the police yeah you could have a gun or, or you, you could, could go hand to hand wasn't it hand to hand oh i guess that's what that was i mean it, well it was just blank the box was just empty Right. So it was a phone, it was a gun, or it was just empty. Right. Which you're right. It does just say, it just does mean hand-to-hand, or it means your words. Right. You know, it means, like, you don't get in a physical altercation. Right. Or maybe them. you just shut the fucking window and get out of here and recognize that black people live nearby you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, truly. You just say hi and yeah. welcome. Are you lost? No? Okay, great. Yeah. Gotta go. Yeah. My kids inside. I mean, are you lost turns into something. Very <laughs> sure. Fast. But at least are you lost isn't what the fuck are you doing here? With, here's my gun. Yeah. At least are you lost is I'm just on some fucking I don't even know yeah. my own shit shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't. Is there, did we forget anything that we just have to talk about? I'm trying to think. Well, I know a lot of people have said that they couldn't wait to see this turned into a, a black mirror type thing. For sure. And I think that like it really lends itself to that. But then I also wonder like, how do you make it and how do you make it so that it works? Mm. The, how do you make it so that it works and the black characters get the same kind of respect and compassion that you might give to the white characters, mm. right? Like for you mean when audience. someone is watching. Yeah. It. Right. Yeah. Because because these characters are flawed and yet they are existing in a f- even more flawed world. Well, and you're going to re- you're going to review it in the world that you're in. Mm-hmm. Cuz he's really I mean I think that like Ajay Brenya is really he's reaching for something bigger and it's not quite necessarily perfect. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder about the gaze of others onto his process like yeah. that, you know? Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I think that they, you know, they they can be used as a jumping off place. There's mm-hmm. also a world in which, you know, just the Finkelstein Five becomes some thing. other thing. Right. I mean, Zimmerland to, is its own thing. Yeah, exactly. Like following an actor that has to play Trayvon Martin over and over again, you know, that that's its own kind of dystopian film that um, you can really then be able to get into what you're talking about, about the psyche of these black characters and right. not feel like we're glossing over what it is that they're dealing with. Totally. And I do, I, there is one thing I wanted to mention in the Finkelstein five at the end when he they're like beating up the white people or whatever and then the cops are called and he's like i felt myself becoming a 10.0 and then it ends with and then like they shoot him and he's a zero he's a nothing point nothing right and i was like that's exactly right as soon as black people get no as soon as black people get to that place on the black scale it all of a sudden becomes oh now we can just cut it out like it's like they were waiting for him to get that far so that they could say oh well he was violent he was a 10 we had to we had to cut him down completely yeah and then 
and then when we're dead, then there is no, like, to me, that is like, it was never there. Right. There was never a scale that had to be there. Right. You know, like you realize only in death, I guess, that that, that this never was a real thing. Say more. Well, I guess I'm just thinking in this moment where it's like, when you have that moment of zero point nothing or whatever, Mm -hmm. of nothing point nothing, that's when they feel safe. Mm. But it's also like, hopefully that's when... Well, I'm getting into some other territory, but I feel like that is a moment where you realize like, oh, what have I done kind of situation. That's what I hope. That you see someone in that place and you're like, what have I done? There was never a scale. I never should have been Mm. threatened. Right. But I guess as I say that, that sounds pretty fucking crazy because it's almost like they need to do that in order to feel safe. Well, right. And I don't think that the scale was ever for a manual or for the black people, the scale was always like for the white people. Right. Right. Like that they, they were bringing the scale down. That's where they wanted it to be. I think, well, I don't know in my mind, maybe it was more like for white people. If you're, if you're around a four or five, that's fine. And if you're above a five, we're just biding our time until you get to a 10 and we can kill you kind of thing. Right. Like that. It's like, Oh, we're in that like, danger zone and you have to like maybe you have to clear an eight and at that point you're done your body's no longer your own like we take control of it i mean it doesn't say that but like that's the kind of thing that i feel if you turn this into a full length something that you could really explore yeah and like is the scale outside of you like can you see it right can other people see it or can you do you only know what you're at because sometimes, like, I mean, and this happens to me all the time. People are like, oh, you're so angry, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm actually not angry right now. Like, my scale, I'm just telling you my story. I have high energy. Right. But, like, you interpret that as, ang- you know, like someone else. Yeah, that's like what Amanda says. Amanda Seals, I'm, I'm not hostile, I'm passionate. Mm, exactly. But I think that the scale is definitely something that, you know, because I feel like you you know – you know how black you you are in the world. Right. Yeah. You, know you what can, I mean? you can fuck with cognizant. your own scale. Yeah. But yeah. I guess the question is, can you see your own number or can you just kind of know that you're pulling, putting it up and putting it down to know exactly where you're at? You're yeah. Saying? I just want, I don't know. It's just something yeah. like, I'm just kind of like taking this whole idea a little bit further, like out a little outside of the story mm-hmm. and thinking like, can you ever know? Cause like I might be a six to Michelle, but Kim might think I'm an eight. Right. Cause like for whatever, wherever Kim's coming from. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think the scale is for white people. Sure. And I guess it would be, you know, <laughs> belittling white people to say that all white people interpret the scale in the same way. Right. But that's essentially, I think what he's doing. Me too. I mean, I, that's what I think too. But then, I mean, in the story he does like, like, Emmanuel says, oh, I could feel my blackness getting to a da-da-da to a da-da-da. Right. So I just, I, I think, I wonder if it makes it an interesting story if he doesn't necessarily know his own numbers, but he can just feel that when he's manipulating it mm. versus actually being able to monitor it closely. So like you think you're calm because everybody's probably had that experience, white, black, 
you know, Korean, whatever, where they feel like they're doing one thing, but their feedback they're getting from others is like, oh, you're really emotional today. And you're like, I'm not emotional. Mm. Or like, or like, why are you being so defensive? So you try to peel it back, but it actually pushes you more to defense, you know, like, so I wonder if that's like a different play on this story that it's like, you can't actually, you can control it or you can try to control it, but you can never know what the other person is seeing on your scale. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I will write a follow-up called The Finkelstein Five Revisited. Poorly written, but interesting in theory. (laughs) I mean, I would read it. Maybe just The Blackness Scale. Yeah. I mean, like, The Blackness Scale is genius. Yeah. It's actually a genius concept. For sure. Um, Well, okay, I think we're done here. We We did did it. We already did title and cover and everything, but... Wade, thank you so much for coming and being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. This was fantastic. All right. We'll talk to everyone later. See you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening. That does it for us today. Thank you to our guest, Wade Elaine Marcus, for joining us. And thank you to the people over at Mariner Books for sending us a copy of Friday Black. Remember to listen to Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya on The Short Stacks, which is up now. For more on The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. Check out our website at thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show like perks and the book club and more, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. For one-time contributions, go to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you got your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I will see you in the stacks. <laughs>